But I also think that being a woman, because you have to always think about those things and navigate the male ego, like we know a lot more about how they work than they do about how we work. And that gives us a lot of opportunity to manipulate them because they're so predictable. (laughs) (laughs) Hello, everyone. It's Tash and welcome to Pussyhood. This is the new and updated version of my podcast. Pussyhood is the show about discovering the new female experience and unlearning society's rules. It feels like a bit of a dream that I get to share this week's episode with you, because I got to chat with Zoe Mendelson, who is one of the creators of Pussypedia. Pussypedia is a free, bilingual, inclusive encyclopedia of the pussy, and it was created by over 200 contributors and curated by Zoe and the visual artist Maria Conejo and the designer, developer, and educator Michael Yap. If you go to pussypedia.net, you will find a beautiful, illustrated, and written answer to almost any question you could think of about the pussy. For example, does exposure to pesticides hurt our fertility? Is it okay to use douches and do vaginal steaming? Or what happens to us when we get bacterial vaginosis? I have been following Pussypedia for about a year, and it is something that I recommend to anyone who has questions about how our bodies work and what is going on on the inside. They also have a 3D tool where you can toggle to see how the entire system of the female reproductive system works together. The ovaries, the fallopian tubes, the uterus, the vagina, it's all there so you can visually see it. Pussypedia actually inspired me to use the word pussy for this podcast because it's a much more inclusive term than just saying vagina. Pussy refers to the whole female reproductive system and also other combinations of it. But when you say vagina, you're only just referring to the canal part, which is actually the vagina. And you're not talking about fertility or ovaries or periods or the clitoris. As Pussypedia teaches us, the word vagina actually comes from the Latin word for sword holder. So that actually objectifies us and puts us in service to penises, which is not actually who we are. So now I'm very excited to welcome Zoe. Hi everyone, it's Tash. Today I have a very special guest. Zoe Mendelson, creator of Pussypedia, who is amazing, and I'm really glad to share uh, her work with you guys today. And she's joining us from Mexico City. So, Zoe, do you want to say hello? Hi, thank you for having me. Excited to be here. So, going on the site, the illustrations, like the quality is so put together and it all flows and makes sense. Was that the first iteration? Did you have that level of like quality in mind when you started it? Maybe just talk through the design of how you came up with the site. Well, I think, yes, like we always were. I mean, I worked with people who are excellent at what they do. So it was going to be excellent. You know, like Michael is our web designer and he's just truly excellent. Maria is our art director and she's truly excellent and we all don't want anything less. Like you didn't have any serious iterations in changing how it was laid out? No, I mean, Michael laid out like this modular structure pretty early on and we didn't do any A-B testing because we didn't have time or money. What was your favorite part of working and building the site? My favorite part was definitely 
when the volunteers would see their work in a final state and get really excited about it. That was definitely the most rewarding. It's like when I felt like other people were seeing, oh, like we can make something really great together. Like I, I did have something to contribute, you know, like and work with professional writers and most of the people I worked with. Some, a few are academics, but most of the people I worked with aren't writers or journalists. So, and a few are high school students. Four of my favorite articles are written by high school students who were then high school students and are not anymore. But um, that was a special feeling just because like, you know, to, sh- to see people feeling empowered, um, that's, that's really special. Yeah, I think that's so cool, especially with the high school students, because I can't imagine if I had been in high school and Pussypedia had existed, how amazing that would have been. Like, I remember when I was in high school, Sheryl Sandberg came out with Lean In and it was like, Sheryl Sandberg's amazing. Like, she's helping us figure out who we are as women in the workplace. But we were still lacking so many of these more bodily and like sexuality focused publications and everything. So I think I wonder like what those high school students will end up doing, like if they'll end up becoming journalists and biomedical researchers. I don't know, but they're all really brilliant young women. I think they'll do some fucking cool shit. So I'm excited to see what they end up doing too. And so what is the plan for Pussypedia going forwards in the next couple of months? But we're also working on our French translations, which have been underway for a few months. And we don't have money right now to build out a French portal on the site so it's like it won't be like okay now it's in English now it's in Spanish now it's in French but like at the end of all the articles it'll say like click here to read this in French and we just partnered with a website called Seek which is like we've been looking for a sort of gender inclusive feminist radical sex ed site to partner with for a long time and we finally found some people one of their editors wrote me to to volunteer to translate into French and I was like actually um so they're going to be publishing some of our translations and that makes me really happy and you know hopefully we just continue with that model because it's cheap and like basically I just need like two volunteers for each language and like one of them is doing coordination so we get a lot of emails like hey I'd love to help you translate into x language and I I like can't coordinate more volunteers like it's not humanly possible (laughs) so um one to to do the coordination sort of keep track of what's been translated who's translating what who's a good translator blah 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 and another was like a very professional high-level translator to be an editor We have a a really wonderful student named Charlie who has been helping me with the French volunteers and an editor named Jean. And she just had a baby, but um, we'll continue the effort. And so that's really exciting. And um, I really want to do Swahili next. That's awesome. Wow. So you don't even need like editors or volunteers to come and help you at this point to translate what I really wanted to ask you about was like the use of words specifically because I'm a cisgendered straight woman creating this podcast which is supposed to be inclusive towards people language in general is so difficult and I think you guys really stressed that in Pussypedia and did like a really good job of it so I would love some guidance sure so um my main piece of advice is find people who you're trying to be inclusive to and then pay them to tell you how to be inclusive to them. 
which is what we did when we started Pussypedia and we had a focus group of trans and non-binary intersex people and uh, had them draft a report about how we could make the site more inclusive. And we also did the same with a disabilities consultant. And sometimes it was hard and sometimes I had to say like, no, you know, inclusion is necessarily like a turtles all the way down problem because you want to be inclusive to everyone. So it's like necessarily infinite. Like it's like by nature an infinite thing. And like, you can't do a project if you try to make it as inclusive as humanly possible because you'll never be able to start. So you sort of have to make your own parameters, which is uncomfortable because you have to at some point be like, okay, well, thanks for your opinion. I'm not going to do that. And, you know, that that was hard, but I also felt like, nope, you know, this site is going to be about pussies. Mm -hmm. And I understand that there are more marginalized bodies that need information, but this site is going to be about pussies mostly. Yeah. And, yeah, language is hard, like... There's just a lot, you know, that we have blind spots. So it's like you don't know what you don't know and you don't know when you're being non-inclusive or even offensive. You know, like I had to speak the word, like the subtitle of the article about BV was when the lame kids crash your vagina party. But I learned that lame is an ableist word because it used to mean disabled, which I just didn't know. So it's hard but you have to make an effort and you just have to pay. And I think if you're doing those two things, then you're, you'll be okay. With the lame example, like, did you keep that in or did you change it following the discussion? I took it out. I took it out because, yeah, I didn't like the subtitle as much after. Like, it didn't, it wasn't as funny or cute to me anymore, but it's not worth it. It's like making someone feel shitty, you know, for my joke. I'm not interested enough in... But the, the point of Pussypedia is to like create a digital safe space for people and make them feel good so that they can learn because they're like being welcomed in emotionally and in an emotional state to like feel open. It's not to be funny, you know? <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. So maybe I could just ask you a bit more about your personal use of the word pussy and like when did that come into your consciousness? Sure. Um, so the project was originally called thinking inside the box and um that's funny but I started calling it Pussypedia just when I was like referring to the project because it's quicker to say and then when we started doing the project and like uh it's just sound interruption <laughs> that's a, a watch I bought that I can't fucking figure out how to get the alarm um, off oh no and so I just decided that every time it goes off I'll just think of all the things I'm grateful for so now it's my gratitude <laughs> Is it one of those Baby G or like Casio watches? Oh my gosh, that's hilarious. Do you still use watches? I do actually, because like every time you pick your phone up to look at the time, you see other things and it like warps you into this other dimension, not what you're doing and where you are. And like, if you get a watch, you'll notice like how many times a day you do actually look at your phone just to see the time. Would you say you're like perfect when it comes to social media habits? Would I say I'm perfect? If it helps you that much, what other social media distractions do you find yourself in? Well, I have like a love-hate relationship with Instagram. Like I'm constantly deleting Instagram off my phone anytime I can, but like 
because I'm in a business, a type of business where I have to promote my own work, it's like, it, I can't be off it. Is it totally, my work totally necessitates being on all the social media channels. Like a lot of my work is helping other people with their social media strategy and shit. So I'm constantly on it. But when I'm not on it, when I do manage to be able to turn it off, take it off my phone for long periods of time, I'm so much happier. Like my whole brain chemistry feels different. I feel calmer. I really appreciate it. And I also like notice really acutely when I get back on, like how bad it makes me feel. Like just like, you know, it's just like you're just flipping between like comparing yourself, FOMO, comparing yourself, (laughs) FOMO, you know? (laughs) No, I totally get it. And like, I was trying to use Instagram almost to motivate me to build a brand and look at other people's brands, but it just makes me end up feeling so deeply insecure and so unequipped to do anything. Yeah, and that, that idea of building a brand is bad because humans are dynamic creatures. Like we don't know that much about ourselves and like are in this constant struggle to learn about ourselves, which is the greatest tool we could possibly have is like self-knowledge and self-understanding. And then we're forced to like flatten ourselves into this brand and present it to everyone else. And we become therefore accountable to a narrative that we made up, which is if we're lucky based like only partially on some self-truth. And then we're like stuck in this little prison we made for ourselves, (laughs) which is horrible. Like it's so antithetical to like human healthy growing and especially like when we're this age and there's a lot of pressure to like be a brand on social media and this is the exact time that we should be like exploring and changing and getting to know ourselves and letting ourselves change and I just think it's so bad it totally sucks but I feel like also there's so much information that you have to find a way to almost flatten yourself so that people can really easily like understand who you are and make many silly assumptions about who you are, but at least you are making a statement rather than also just being like a LinkedIn profile without a photo on it. Right, which is awful. It's awful because like, it's it's to make ourselves more valuable in the labor market. But in reality, like the most valuable thing in a labor market is like a more self-realized person because a more self-realized person is just going to be more effective at any single ever kind of job. No, I'm I'm not disagreeing with you, but like I have personally struggled back and forth so much between professional me and then like me podcasting. I don't know. Do you find that you just choose projects where you think you can be more authentic? Do you reject clients because you're like, oh, I don't want to be their UX monkey or something? I would if I had a lot of money. (laughs) (laughs) I would do that, but no, I don't reject any clients. I mean, yeah. I maybe rejected like two gigs in the last three years. Yeah, not a relevant number. Do you think you've been able to present yourself authentically through these different mediums? And if you could pick a medium, like which one would you go for? Uh, Definitely Instagram. I mean, there was a lot of like, there's been a big change in Instagram in all of it because now you're connected to usually like people you work with and people who might hire you are going to look at your social media and the kids I used to nanny and their mom and you know I used to self-censor a lot more but I kind of just stopped doing that because I decided that I want people to hire me to do the kind of work that I want to do which is also why I do my own projects 
like Wikipedia or like the drone site or, you know, you have to do personal projects and put them out there so that you can point to them and be like, look, this is what I want to do for you. I want people to hire me for my authentic voice. So I try not to, you know, censor myself on Instagram. Like it's hard on me to, to have a split personality. Like I can't, I just, I don't want to do it anymore. When I listened to your episode on Design Matters with Debbie Millman, I was, like, so impressed. I was just like, how can you have the audacity to, like, say what you really think on this very public platform of a podcast that's going out to millions of people? Do you not fear, you know, the repercussions? I mean, no, I don't. And and it's not like, it, it's like a, definitely sometimes a personality flaw, you know? Like, I can't not say what I honestly think about stuff, so... I have paid the price for that many times, but I know I don't care. Like I don't, I don't, I just don't care. Something there's just something missing. Like I fucking don't care. <laughs> you know, like, when you say pay the price, though, like is it just hate mail or is there like another like very specific example? There's been hate mail, but also just like when I after college and the times that I was still trying to like work for people in in office settings, like. I couldn't not say, like, I don't want to do this because it's stupid to do it this way. Like, we shouldn't do it this way. It doesn't make sense. I'm not going to do it. We should do this other thing, you know? And I always think I'm right, which is also a personality flop. Um, (laughs) 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 When when people have said that to me, like, you know, like romantic partners or, you know, my sister, like, you always think you're right. And I'm always like, well, yeah, like, otherwise (laughs) I wouldn't say what I'm saying. Like, doesn't everyone always think they're right? Like, would would you... <laughs> you know, I, I do get it. That's how I feel about that. I, I don't know. I just, especially like doing a project that's like trying to be woke, invites a lot of criticism. So I, you know, I think I might not have even done the project if I didn't not care because you know it was making myself really vulnerable to like people being like, "You didn't do this right, or you didn't do that right," and you know, sometimes it's helpful. Sometimes it's constructive, but a lot of other times it's just like people trying to like get their own, you know, like like look good. Right. Yeah, I mean, take their take their criticism with like it was really easy for you to type that tweet from your house. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. So it says on Pussypedia's about page that you guys identify as like cisgendered women. And I just wanted to explore like if you identify as a woman, what that actually means to you in terms of your day to day. Does being a woman affect who you are, really? I do identify as a woman and I think it shapes so much. I mean, I do a lot of work to try to unlearn a lot of the socially learned behaviors and um, personality traits, you know, that we get. And a lot of it's learning to take care of my own needs. A lot of it's learning to um, assert what I need and what I want and how I feel. And uh, it's learning to speak up. It's learning to, um, you know, know that I I have a confrontational personality, like we were just saying. Like, I definitely do. And I have been treated by men like I'm being so aggressive when I'm just disagreeing and um part of that's you know that I'm from like a really like normal Jewish family which means we're not that normal to the rest of the world because we are like highly argumentative and confrontational and direct but I've also come to really value that about our culture because I think it's productive (laughs) and Um, waste less time and 
you know, if I'm if I'm going to argue with somebody, it's because I actually do respect their intelligence. You know, when like some dumb guy is like, oh, they didn't need to graffiti the <laughs> national monuments. Like, you know, that was, that was over the line. Like, if I think he's like an asshole and just dumb, I'm not going to take my time and respond and educate him and whatever. Like, I think occasionally there are like potential teaching moments, but you have to recognize that like not all of the moments are going to be that. And so if I am arguing with someone, it's because I actually do respect their personality. But anyway, like, yeah, because I'm a woman, I know I'm going to be like understood as being aggressive. And, but I also think that being a woman, because you have to always think about those things and navigate the male ego like, we know a lot more about how they work than they do about how we work. And that gives us a lot of opportunity to manipulate them because they're so predictable. And, <laughs> and so being a woman, like, while you're in, not in a position of, um, you know, having home court advantage because this is a heteronormative patriarchy, you do have an advantage of being more observant, like, you know, having more emotional intelligence, like, you know, all of those things are tools. So I think, yeah, being a woman informs every single interaction I ever have. And I wouldn't want to be a man. Right. So how do you think people could be more using this to their advantage then? Even imposter syndrome, like, a lot of people talk about imposter syndrome. And I think for me, I always thought of it as, yes, maybe I'm not supposed to be in this space. And actually, I can take power in the fact that I'm the only person with a pussy in this room. How can we better reframe those things that we see as flaws and use it to like, I don't know, um, world domination kind of stuff? Well, one thing is like about imposter syndrome is that I think some of what we call imposter syndrome is like, just the absence of this like wild ridiculous male confidence you know which I think is really like not the ideal either so I mean when I go into a, a new situation with a, a client that I've maybe talked myself into the work and I don't necessarily already have all the <laughs> skills I might need to complete it you know I'm like aware of what I don't know. I'm aware of the limits of my knowledge. And I think some of imposter syndrome is just being aware of the reality that we are learning on the fly, but that's what everybody's doing. And when you're aware of it, you're like more thorough about your research. You know, I don't just like come and be like, Oh, wing it. It'll be great. You know, like <laughs> I really try to learn what I need to learn to be able to do stuff and learning requires humility. So I think if we reframe it as a strength that, you know, if we have that narrative of like this insecurity, like, oh, I'm being insecure because I'm not strong enough and, you know, whatever, like, no, like you're actually just aware that like you need to learn a bunch of shit right now. And yeah. Learn it, you know? Yeah, totally. Also just like, you know, and this goes for, for women too, but like men, you know, we, we all are like really susceptible to our egos and so when I am working with a man who I haven't worked with like I'm always really heavy on the compliments before I start getting into what I want like to see happen differently um and <laughs> it really works it really does you know like engage with what they did like 
say, you know, give them a pat on the bag. You did a great job, Joe. You did it. Yeah. Oh, I thought it was so smart how you approached the issue of X. That was a really novel take. And um, I also just thought that the structure of this was really clever because it allowed for X, Y, Z to happen. That can be really hard to achieve. And um, yeah, just overall really impressed. I have one thing that I think could be a little bit different, you know. Let's rewrite it this way or whatever. If I'm talking to a woman, it's like, dude, great job. This was great. Loved that. Okay. I think that we should do this differently. Yeah. I've been thinking a lot about self-esteem in schools. And I was definitely raised in a way where it was like, you relied on that approval and those compliments from like other people. And I think I've noticed recently that especially in the working world, people kind of feel uncomfortable like complimenting women because we're missing more of that praise, like that women don't get as much praise. We don't feel like we're doing a good job. Yeah, and then also on top of that, there's the fact that just like people come into reviewing your work more skeptical already because you're a woman and are like much more like reserved to believe that your work was excellent. Yeah, exactly. We So, you know, <laughs> we do an excellent job and it's just like, okay, and a man does an excellent job and it's like, this is genius. <laughs> And you're like, I promotion, like two fucking weeks ago. Yeah, exactly. You know? And I actually suggested it in the meeting as well. And the reason why yeah. it happened was because I did the work and then whatever. Oh my God. Oh, such a yeah, nightmare. I've been in that situation. It was crazy to me that there was nothing more intimidating to them than me expressing my opinions and like critiquing them in a way that they like felt so scared. <sighs> and then the, the unfortunate thing for them is like, you probably said some things that they fucking needed to hear. They didn't hear them and they didn't put them to work. But like, we are used to taking criticism. Exactly. And and like having humility, like you can take that and be like, okay, I need to change whatever. I need to do X better, you know? Yeah. Preparation and learning beforehand is like what gives you confidence. Right. But yeah, I think that like a lot of the really fucking difficult shit we deal with as women is what gives us the ability to be like big enough people to be like, hmm, like that was a really like horrible experience. What do I need to learn from it? Because we didn't just like shut down because our egos were bruised. Yeah, totally. That's a big thing. Did you have a corporate job at any point? Uh, Corporate, not really corporate. Like I worked for... um, Grow NYC, which is, you know, not corporate, it's, you know, a city agency. And I then worked for a different city agency as as an intern, but that was the last time I worked in an office. Um, But I've been around the corporate world because I work in a lot of advertising stuff, and I've given talks at Pepsi and McDonald's, and it's like walking into this parallel universe. (laughs) (laughs) I remember I went to like Morgan Stanley to visit one of my friends and it was literally like walking into the 2008 financial crisis. Like everyone was wearing suits and I was like, what is this place? Like how are people even existing? Um, How did you feel like giving a talk at like McDonald's? Oh my God, I was tripping out at McDonald's (laughs) because I had literally flown from Manaus to go give that talk. And I flew over all the deforested Amazon land. Uh. Like, so much of it is, like, McDonald's, like, making grazing land. 
And I'm just looking down at it, being like, I'm going to take their money. Oh, no. It's horrible. I mean, it's interesting. It's the people, you know, I grew up with. Like, the McDonald's corporate headquarters is in the suburbs of Chicago where I grew up. Like, not the same suburb, but, like, very close, you know. And it's just normal people trying to live their lives, you know, like... You know, it's always, like, fun to walk into those places. I sort of feel like they hire me to, like, be a circus, you know? Entertain and make people be like, wow, and then leave. Yeah, just like, oh, isn't it funny and cool how she's real? You know, like, it's... (laughs) You talked on the podcast as well about nihilism and younger people. How do you think people can bring more humanity to the work that they're doing? Um... Good question. I, I don't know how to do that. I often meet people and I mean, I've been in client situations and more corporate situations, like advertising world people and just like realize when we stop talking about the work and like they're just like chatting, like it's always about dumb shit. And I'm like, wow, like most people don't care about the world at all and they don't want to hear about it. Like, it can be like farting, you know, like if you just like start talking about what's going on in the world or like the real implications of the work or whatever, it's like makes everyone immediately uncomfortable. And like in those situations, I don't have like some trick I pull out of my pocket to like make people care. Like I just get really depressed and shut down, Mm. actually. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, if that's the honest truth. There's plenty to be depressed about in that sense. Yeah. I mean, I think just being an emotional, being openly emotional and reminding people that, like, we're all fucking human, you know? Like, I am a big crier and I, like, cry in public a lot, like, cry in front of people a lot. And I'm like, don't give a fuck. Like, I'm really zero embarrassed about it. And, like, sometimes I see other people get embarrassed for me. And I'm like, good. Like, you need to see that I'm not embarrassed. You know, like, I think people need to see other people who are willing to, like, be their full self. Yeah. Um, And sometimes it will get through to them, but um, sometimes you're basically asking people to uncompartmentalize things that they cannot uncompartmentalize because they need that compartmentalization to survive. Yeah, that is... In those situations... I have no idea how to get people's heads out of their asses. I don't. It's such a difficult thing. Even within the office and stuff, I feel like I would find myself writing the most ridiculous emails with words that I would never use. Me and my boyfriend joke about this all the time. Whenever he's like, oh, do you want to, you know, get dinner or something? I'll be like, can you just circle back with me or give me some 360, you know, feedback later in the day? And um, it's a joke, but it's also reality of everything. So I just try to show up and be vulnerable and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't yeah do you find that the freelance lifestyle works for you pretty well like do you have any other plans to like go back to more formal employment um depends on what enough is i want a baby someday not too long you know like i want to have a family and I need to be able to have real health insurance and you know like I started freelancing when I was 22 so I've grown a lot in the sense of like it's hard to structure your own days and like not get flush yourself down like the guilt toilet if you don't get something done and it's really you know 
it's really rough the feeling of like getting to the end of a day and realizing you just like walked between objects all day and like didn't do anything and like you know that that's the hardest part of financing and also just like dealing with the uncertainty of not knowing if you're gonna have enough money in a month to pay rent or whatever and like not knowing what's coming and dealing with a lot of rejection and dealing with a lot of things falling through and not having any job security like I've had a lot of years to like sort of master those parts of it and I make enough money to like eat and smoke weed and take Uber when I'm tired and pay my rent and my bills and whatever, but I don't make enough money to start a family. And so I think realistically, if I want to get pregnant, I'm going to have to go find a full-time job. Yeah. But could you do something like, I don't know, ghostwriting a book or something that you could still have writing and journalism and stuff be the main goal? Or would you have to just do something like completely different? I would probably go into advertising because I'm not going to, I don't want to make journalism money when I could make advertising money. Like if I have to go do a full-time job, like I want to actually make money or like maybe tech sector or something like the, the discovery, like it's just so fucking different how much you know it's like making 30 or 90,000 a year or like more yeah especially with the level of experience I don't know it's this that's the point if you're gonna sell your soul you better you better get them to pay a high price because you have like so much experience you worked with so many different clients you move to San Francisco 150k a year whatever like yeah that that is that's it but then that's also your life and then you're missing out on like the culture of Mexico City or like to have a great lifestyle and hike and everything on the weekends but um no galleries no whatever else you really wanted to be interested in but yeah do you find that you get lonely or do you like have social situations worked out that you don't get lonely now in freelancing I mean now like it's different it's changed so much in the time since I started I did I did used to get lonely but now I have like six friends who also work remotely and like we all get together and we have work sessions and I mean right now right now my husband's working in the back you know in his studios now here so I love that uh, especially because my friends and I can't work together anymore. But no, I, I mean, I pretty much have plans every night, even if I don't see my friends during the day. And like, it helps to be alone to get the work done sometimes. And I mean, gets really like wears on you though, when it's months and months, you know, like in the lead up to Pussypedia, like all I did was work on Pussypedia from like 6am to 10pm every single day for like months and months and months. And like, I couldn't even, like, go to cafes or, like, go work with other people very much. My friend Sophie came over one night, and I think I just, like, told her my to-do list for two hours. <laughs> <laughs> so when, during these phases in the project, though, did you have an external deadline, like, or was it a group deadline, or, like, how are you that blitz-focused on what you're doing? Well... It just had to fucking happen. I mean, we had a, a group deadline that we decided on. We missed it. We decided to give ourselves, like, six more months. Some members were very upset about that. But for me, it was just like, I can't. I'm fucking dying. I can't. I have to do other work. I need money so bad. I was broke as shit. And so I just gave myself that time. I needed it. And then I, it's like, if, if you push the deadline back again, are you even going to launch yeah you know yeah that's really it's hard I'm I'm like a kind of a perfectionist you know so like there was so much that I had to let go in order to launch then and like 
I needed to the deadline to be real, to be able to let anything go, you know. Definitely. And do you feel like you had to end up compromising on anything? Like, what did you feel like you had to lose in the end? A lot of things, but it's kind of painful to talk about. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> like, just, um, like, the search functionality on the site, like, it's not what I envisioned. This bums me out. I mean, I say this every episode where I work with a femtech founder or something, but... Like, I wish that this had existed 50 years ago or, like, 100 years ago. And when do you think, like... I mean, maybe it's just now. Like, maybe women and people with pussies now have decided, like, we can do this ourselves. Like, why did we not think we could do that 50 years ago? Probably because we couldn't have credit cards and those kinds of things. Um, I think that a lot of women have been chipping away for many decades of very hard work at the shame and stigma. I mean, I think it took so much work and so much activism and so many individual people doing personal work just to get us to the point where we believed like we could just like do big projects at all, you know, just, just to like have us believe in ourselves and have like visions of our lives as things other than housewives um to have access to education just you know building blocks you know and 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 chipping away at the shame and taboo that is associated with the topic to like even make it a viable project yeah Definitely. But yeah, I think Pussypedia is freaking amazing. And thanks for closing that gap because, you know, it's one of those things where, I mean, the sight and the look and the feel, it's like you can feel the effort and the attention and the like visualization of things is just super important. And I think also like even having done this podcast about birth control, it's so difficult to describe the actual methods and like the physical things because it's, it is 3D and we never had that kind of 3D experience in in our education and like the environment. So yeah, I think the 3D toggle thing is, is super cool. I'm glad you like it. Thank you. You're welcome. Well, thank you so much for having me on your show. Yes. Thank you for coming on the show. I absolutely loved so many of your answers about being a woman. Thank you. Take care. Bye. I really hope you enjoyed this show. You can follow Zoe and Pussypedia on Instagram. Their handle is pwordpedia because Instagram doesn't allow the word pussy written into handles. And you spell that P-W-O-R-D-P-E-D-I-A. So stay tuned and join us for another episode of Pussyhood later. Leave us a review and follow us on Instagram. Our handle is pussyhood, which is P-U-S-S-I-E-H-O-O-D. Lots of love and I hope we'll see you again soon. Bye.